0: Welcome to Voice of Thunder, where we declare the earth-shattering truths of God's Word about culture, family, and church. I'm your host, Lance McKenzie. This podcast was meant to be a dummy's guide to how to study the Bible, and it was meant to be quick. Unfortunately, it ran long. So I'm going to split this podcast and make it a little easier for your convenience to listen to. So this is part one you're listening to. Also, please be aware as you're listening to this, um, I mentioned a certain tool for cross-referencing called the Treasury of Scriptural uh, – I called it in this podcast, I call it the Treasury of David. Actually, it's called the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge. So please be on the lookout for that. Um, as, As I'm talking through this, everywhere I say treasury of David, just remember that I was incorrect, and it's the treasury of scriptural knowledge. I hope this podcast is informative. Enjoy. So you want to study the Bible. Great. The problem is, there are multiple denominations, thousands upon thousands of churches. How do you know that what you study and what you think the Bible teaches is what it teaches. Can we say there is such thing as dogmatic truth that I know that I know that I know what the Bible teaches? And does it really matter? And I think it does matter personally. Um, Whenever you, you look at the Bible itself, its claims are ginormous. It pretty much sells itself. I mean, eternal life, eternal status, being a prince of God, having the favor of God, God keeping you. I mean, the list goes on and on. The claims of this book is just enormous. Uh, the, and I think the greatest claim that the, the truth that's contained within the Bible trumps all other knowledge that man can see, can conceive. The Bible claims that. Therefore, understanding its teachings... That's, that's the most important thing you could ever do then, is to grasp what the Bible teaches. But with so many out there who claims, well, the Bible says this, or no, it doesn't say that, how can we know what the Bible actually teaches? How can we study the Bible and know what it teaches? And I've done another uh, series of podcasts on Bible study, and I go into detail to this process, but today we're just going to do a quick Bible study for dummies. This is just, you know, if you want to get your 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 feet wet, get your hands dirty, that's what today is about, is getting into, um, how, how do you study the Bible for dummies? I've been doing, I, I wrote my first commentary when I was, oh, probably 18, 19. I started studying through the epistles. And I read a lot of commentaries. My dad introduced me to commentaries by people and kind of started seeing how they would take notes in the Bible and started trying to follow their process. Now, I wouldn't recommend anybody read my little commentary in the notes I've written um, from back in the day because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. But over the years... I've made it my practice because of older godly men who recommended, Lance, you always need to be studying through a book of the Bible. This isn't just for preachers. This is for any Christian. You need to be studying through a book of the Bible to try and give yourself a greater knowledge and understanding about what the Bible teaches. Because at the end of the day, if we claim to be Christians, and we believe that the Word of God is sufficient for all life and godliness, and we believe the Word of God is as power is so powerful, if we believe it really is uh, the sword of the Spirit, if we really believe it, it is everything it claims it is, then we better know what it teaches, and we better know we're sure about what it teaches. And so that's what today is about. I mean, how can I get my, my, my feet wet? How can I just jump into this and get experience? Because really, I can do a whole lot. Of teaching on it, but really, this is a—it's a science. It's a, it is a applied science. I believe it's not something that's just theoretical. It has to be done. It has theory behind it, of course, like all science does. But it's got to be applied. It's not something that's merely can be discussed, but must—it must be something that is done. It, it is something that must be done and actually um, performed. So to start off, Lance, what tools am I going to need? So there's a few tools you're in need. You're going to need number one a Bible encyclopedia, not just any encyclopedia, but a Bible encyclopedia. There are a few good ones out there. I use one all the time. Um, it, I, I use a program called Logos, and it costs some money. So I understand if you know if you don't have the money for it. But you can probably find a lot of these dictionaries online that I'm going to mention. So go online, Google Google these. I'm sure you'll find them. My favorite one is the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It's by uh, Walter A. Elwell. It is uh, my favorite. It's very in depth. Um, It's got over five thousand seven hundred articles written by more than one hundred seventy-five scholars. so it's, it's very in-depth, and it's written from an evangelical perspective. So it's, it's a Christian evangelical perspective, so you're not going to be getting non-Christian trying to talk about the Bible. But this is from an evangelical perspective about what is being taught. And you can probably find it in a bookstore. You might be able to find it online somewhere, uh, maybe you know, in a Bible software somewhere. But, but go look it up. Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, Walter A. Elwell, E-L-W-E-L-L. Uh, another one is the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary. Not every article in that is written by an evangelical. Uh, there's quite a few that are just written by archaeologists who are not Christians or not believers. Anchor Yale Bible Encyclopedia. It's very very thorough. Its articles um, and entries are just enormous. They're really really big. Um, so I'd recommend that one. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Now this one's older and so. It, it, you're going to find it more frequently. It's probably going to be the easiest one to find, but its entries are old, and its archaeology is old. So you're going to read some stuff in there that newer archaeology is going to correct, uh, but but it's got a ton of entries. I mean it, it has an enormous amount of entries. Um, I would say probably more than Baker's. Uh, I'm not totally sure on that, but I, I do feel it is uh, larger than Baker's, but it is older. So just, just be aware of that. Um, but the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. So though, look those up, those three. Anchor, Yale, Baker's, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Um, the next thing you're going to need is a dictionary. You're going to need a if, – if you're studying using the King James, you will need a 1828 Webster's Dictionary. You can find it online for free. Um, there's some Bible apps. eSword has it for free. Um, so look that up if you're using King James because the King James, the English language has changed since the King James was written, so some of the the older words they're not going to mean the same thing anymore. So having that and, and it's nice too because the, the uh, 1828 will use Bible verses, and that's kind of nice. You know, so whenever it's explaining uh, you know a, a meaning of a certain word, it will use a Bible verse. And sometimes man, I, the verse I'm looking at is the verse they give, uh, and the word I'm looking at within that verse is the one that they give a definition for. And so that's kind of nice. You know, you'll see it in the definition. Oh yeah, I'm studying. You know, in Genesis one one. You know, I'm looking at this word. I go look it up. Oh well, look. You know, it gives me the meaning of that word, and then it gives me an example from Genesis one one. So that's kind of nice to have. Um, get a good uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, a recent one. Uh, I use Merriam-Webster's uh, Cold Colgate. I don't know how to pronounce that. Dictionary, 11th edition. I, I use it all the time. It's not frequently used. Go get a Greek lexicon or lexicon, however you pronounce it, uh, or a Greek dictionary. I'd recommend going to get that. A Greek lexicon or dictionary is simply that. It's just a dictionary. Even a even lexicon, is just it's just a dictionary. I don't know why they call it that. Um, it's no different than dictionary. They give you a word, and then they give you suggested synonyms or meanings for that word. So there's not really a huge difference um, between those. Uh, go find you uh, some commentaries. Uh, I use – the ones I use are a lot – and to me, they're the, I've used a lot of commentaries over the years, and these are the best to me. Um, the Tyndale – Commentaries, uh, commentary series, is one of the best to me. I use it a lot, and I, I, I've started relying on that one more than any other commentary. I go to the Tyndale Bible Commentary, um, TNTC for short, T-N-T-C. Um, the Tyndale Commentary Series. Uh, the other, Another really popular one is the Expositors. Uh, Bible commentary series, it's good, but it's a little bit more dry, and it's also, to me, it's it doesn't they don't always explain themselves real well. So I I really lean towards Tyndale. If you're going to choose one or the other, go with Tyndale. Another good one is the IVP. I'm trying to find it here. I've got listed out my software. I'm looking at my software right now as I'm doing this. The IVP New Testament commentary series. I think they probably have an Old Testament. I only have the New Testament. It is trying to compare. It is a little bit more accessible to the ordinary person. At times, it lacks depth. The Tyndale lacks depth. And I think the Tyndale is still. If you've been in church for a while, the Tyndale is still going to be pretty good. You know, the Tyndale is still, if you've been in church for a little bit, you're, you're, you'll probably can follow along with the Tyndale commentary series just fine. Um, but the IVP is written kind of, it, it is well done, but it is a little bit, it does have some more application and it is a little bit more aimed at the just layperson in the pew. So just, you know, kind of, you know, that's, again, I can to lay that up to you. I, I'd definitely go read entries and be aware that commentaries have different writers typically, not all the time, but typically they have different writers for different books. And so some writers, man, they'll do a great job. You might go read Philippians and be like, man, this is a great, great, great job. I love this commentary. Then go read Psalms and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing I've ever read in my entire life. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help me. So bear that in mind that commentaries, different books are better than others different different uh, authors are going to write better commentaries than others and be more helpful in others if you want to go the free route these are all the ones i just mentioned ivp tyndale and expositors all cost money but if you're wanting i mean you can go look them up online maybe you can find them free but I, I don't think i ever did but if you want to find um ones that are commonly free adam clark he was a methodist um And then Matthew Henry was a kind of a soft Calvinist. Uh, He was a two-weep. He he did not believe in limited atonement. But those both are really good. Um, Adam Clark is really good in in like the verse by verse. Like if you're studying a certain verse, uh, he's really good at explaining, you know, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. He's really good at explaining that verse. But trying to relate that verse to the whole, he doesn't do a great job. And there's times where he'll go to like history or archaeology. But you got to understand that Adam Clark was alive during the time of John Wesley, or around that time period at least. So his commentary is very old. So a lot of the archaeology doesn't really measure up today. And it's the work of one person. And so he's limited in what he can do. He's only one guy. So unlike these other commentary series I've series mentioned, which have multiple people, he's one person trying to write commentary on the entire Bible. And so there's just times that he's not as good um, as he could be. Um, Matthew Henry is great at showing you overall what the author's trying to say. He's very good at summarizing and explaining. He's a good expositor, so he's very good at explaining what the text means as a whole. However, the negative for Matthew Henry, is that he was around the time of the Puritans, and so he has little or no information about culture or historical facts or archaeology. That's just, it's not in his commentary, really. He gives little information about that. So, that's a good little summary for you of Matthew Henry. Great resource, just have to bear that in mind. So, a commentary is not authoritative. You'll see times where the commentaries disagree. Now, they don't usually... They won't be a a great disagreement between them, especially if you've you got commentaries from a Protestant perspective. They're not going to have a huge amount of disagreement between them. But every once in a while, they will have disagreement. And so bearing that in mind, this is a commentary. This is not uh, the Word of God. So keep keep that in mind. These are these are commentaries. Um, a good Bible for study is something else you're going to need. You're going to need a I, – I have a King James Bible I've used for several, I think I studied through the book of Hebrews, I studied through 1 Peter with it, I studied several books of the Bible with this particular Bible and it is the um, Thomas Nelson let's see, it is in a special kind of print, it is in the uh, they advertise it as like a comfort print is what they advertise it as. Um, the Bible was set in the Thomas Nelson KJV font created at the 2K Denmark-type foundry. Get, they, they advertise it as a comfort print for their King James Bible. And it is uh, – this is a uh, King James large print pew Bible. So it's actually for a pew. It's a pew Bible that you, you'd use and you'd have a church. But why I like this Bible so much is the print is extremely legible. It is just extremely legible. There's very little bleed through, so you won't see, you know, the pages of a Bible are really thin. And so you can see the words a lot of times behind, uh, of the page behind the one you're on. So it, it gets really difficult to to be able to read through and pay attention because you're, you're seeing the words behind a lot of times. So I really like the fact that there's little bleed through and, and the font style is just so easy to read. So I'd look that up if I was you. I, I use it all the time. That's what I preach out of. Um, it's my favorite. I've got three more copies of it here uh, up in my closet because I anticipate hopefully using this for years to come. So having a Bible for study, one that is very legible, one that's easy, easy to read, has big font, all that good stuff. Um, you will need a notebook, paper, and pen, of course. And a Microsoft Word or, or some way to write out electronically um, your your observations and your findings as you're, you're studying along through the Bible. Because I've done this. You can write all out on pieces of paper and do the whole journaling, Bible journaling thing. But at some point, you're going to want to go back and you're going to want to find, hey, what did I say about that? And this reminds me of that. And you're not going to remember it at all. Where it was at, you won't remember the verse, you won't remember the chapter, you won't remember what book it was in, or you might remember what book it's in, but you definitely don't remember where it was at. Or so, being able to Control F or, or you run the command Find and search through a Word document and find that particular uh, reference is very very useful. And it's just really nice, too, for keeping everything organized. If you make a mistake, be able to back up. Usually I can type much faster than I can write, too. So all those things are very, very useful. I'd highly recommend that. I would also recommend a Bible app for multiple translations of the Bible, such as eSword or, of course, they had just the Bible app that everybody has on their phone pretty much anymore. It has multiple translations. Recommend it. Again, what are the translations for? They are, they are to serve as a resource for you to give you better understandings of what certain words means. If you're using a King James, there's going to be times where you're going to be like, I have no idea what this word means. I don't use this word. I've never heard this word used in my entire life. Help me. It's like reading a foreign language. And so having another translation is really useful for that. And even if you're not using a King James, if you're using a newer one, um, it's still useful. To be able to open it up and uh, you know find other ways that word has been translated to give you synonyms for that word, so you can give a better understanding for what the author is trying to say. So it serves a useful purpose. If you're if you're really looking for a different translation, you like the King James, you don't want to leave like the King James. They make. Some modernized King James versions of all they have done. They have not retranslated anything. They have only taken out the uh, these and thous and a lot of the old English, uh, King's English they have taken out. Try to remember the name of it. I believe it's like King James Sword or something like that. But you can find them. Just look up a modernized King James online. You can, you'll can you find them. Uh, there's quite a few out there. Um So if you're really looking for that, that might be something to to research and to look into for you. Also, last thing you're going to need is cross-references. Having the treasury of David uh, cross-references, which was made, I think Charles Spurgeon did that, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but I believe that was Charles Spurgeon who made that. And it's just cross-references. You open up to a certain verse, Genesis 1-1, and it gives you other places in the Bible that that topic is discussed. So it serves a really useful purpose for that. Um trying to think of what else. That's pretty much it. That's all I've got. So those seven things, that's seven, encyclopedia, an English lexicon, and dic- or an English dictionary, and then a Greek dictionary or lexicon, a commentary, a Bible for study, a notebook, paper, and pen, and, of course, Microsoft Word as well. If you can get your hands on that Bible app for translations and a cross reference. Finding a way to cross reference again, you can use Treasury of David eSword. Um, they also give a way to do cross references, and you can probably file online to um, some different cross reference stuff that's out there, uh, different websites, that might get some cross references. You just you really just need something to give you multiple. Uh, cross-references where this topic is being discussed other places in scripture so those are seven things so that's all you need and really you can get most of that I I would go in the library a lot of days on my lunch break at work I would go to a library which is down the street from me they have study rooms I walk in with a bible a notebook and my phone that's all I needed and I'd sit down and I would would use that Um, or I might come in with a laptop I started using a laptop for my notes and that's all I used you know bible laptop notebook and pen. it's all I used uh, and my phone of course so those those things it, it doesn't really uh, take a whole lot you're not going to break the bank um, again you can I use logos I love logos um, I've, I found it very useful but it's expensive and it's expensive building your library um, so that's some of the tools you'll need